everyone. How are you doing? Oh, man, that would, I agree with Tito. What, what great worship. And, you know, there's something about uh, when we decide to be a participator instead of just a spectator and really allow God to speak to us in some way. You know, God wants to do something in each one of our lives. And for us to just sit back and watch what God's doing in someone else's life, we're really robbing ourselves, right? So in order to experience that, let's, uh, let's join in uh, on a weekly basis. We're going to do stuff like that every now and then just to kind of break it up. Uh, you'll see me come up and maybe read some scripture, maybe read a poem or something like that. But we, we just want to keep it uh, fresh around here. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, like Pastor Tito said, child dedications. If you've never dedicated your child, it's going to be next Sunday. So go to the link on social media, sign up for that. I know we have a couple of uh, babies that we're going to be uh, dedicating next week. Uh, but first of all, we just want to say that you may be here checking us out for the first time. And if you are, if you're a guest with us this morning, then we have a free gift for you. It's actually one of these mugs. It's got our uh, logo on it. So if you're here for the very first time, don't leave without getting this gift. It's right through our uh, doors there and our starting point area, which is on our left. It's kind of our welcome center. And so just walk up to the person there and say, hey, it's my first time. Uh, and I'd like one of those mugs. And so we just want to uh, give that, put that in your hand and say, uh, welcome and thank you for being here. Also, if you are here for the first time and you do not have a home church that we want to say to you, welcome home. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. We want to say to you, Welcome home. There we go. That's great. Uh, don't forget, tonight is Trunk or Treat. Our Harvest Festival is tonight right here on site in our, in our parking lot from 5 to 7 p.m. Hopefully you've been talking about it. Hopefully you've been talking to your neighbors and, and friends about that who have uh, kids. Uh, but it's going to be a great time. We have 12-plus uh, vehicles that are participating in Trunk or Treat. And also, let me just say that if you think, you know what, I, I don't have a theme you know, I, I, I don't have time to decorate. I don't have a theme. Perfectly okay. Bring your vehicle, pop your trunk, and we can just get, give out candy, but we just want to be able to, uh, to, to bless as many uh, kids as possible and also just let people know that, hey, we love you and we love our community. And so uh, we have 12 plus vehicles already. If you are participating, when you get here, please arrive no later than 415 and come in through the north gate, this gate over here, which normally we use as our exit. But please come in through there because we're going to make that our walkthrough entrance gate. So as you come, pull in through the, uh, pull in through the gate here, and then we'll kind of uh, give you directions on where where to go from there. But that is going to be from 5 to 7 p.m. tonight. We have a couple of snack vendors and some inflatables for our kids, but it's open to the entire community, and we want to make sure that our people take advantage of it as much as possible, okay? Um, also, if you came prepared to give, we just want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, there's four different ways you can uh, surrender uh, your resources to God here at New Life, and you can do that either uh, through our app. You can do that through our website. Uh, you can do that physically here on Sundays. We have uh, giving stations located at our exits. You can drop, just drop that off in there, or you can do it through mail-in uh, too. But we just want to say however you decide uh, to support New Life and give back to God, thank you. Because we cannot do what we do on a weekly basis without your generosity. So thank you so much in doing that. Um, before I speak, if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5, and we're also in the book of Exodus as we continue on in our, our guardrail series. Matthew chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20, if you want to kind of put a couple of fingers in there. Um, we are, uh, my heart is a little heavy this morning. Um, as uh, we've lost one of our own. And so those of you that, that know Michael and Nilda uh, Gaitner, uh, she passed away this week. And so services for Nilda are going to be on Saturday, this coming Saturday, no, um, November the 5th, um, at the funeral home here in town. 
And so Michael was here today, and I just want to pray for you, Michael. Okay? Can we have some of our men just kind of gather around Michael? Um, Nilda fought hard, didn't she, buddy? We love Michael and Nilda. I love, I love knowing that she's dancing with Jesus right now. We want to pray for Michael and, and, the, and the kids. Father, we don't understand times like these. Father, we just pray for, for Michael and the kids and all the family and the friends, Lord, who have come in. Lord, we know that Nelda was such a lover of you. Lord, we prayed for healing over and over, and Lord, you decide to heal her your way. You decided to bring her home. Because we know that this is not our home, Lord. Our home is with you. And Nilda's home. So, Father, I just pray for Michael right now. The peace that Scripture says goes beyond our understanding. We don't understand it, Lord, but it's the peace that you offer. And I pray that you'll surround him with that peace right now. Thank you. Thank you for her life. Thank you for the little short time that we got to spend with her. That you borrowed her to us. That you loaned her to us. And now she's with you, pain-free, cancer-free, enjoying eternity with you. I pray over the next few days, Lord, that people can reach out, just love on Michael and the kids, and can be there for, their, for the family, and can really show what it looks like to be the arms and feet of Jesus. Whatever, however it comes, whether it's a phone call or a text or a visit or a meal or just a hug, let them feel your arms around them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. We love you, Michael. <clears throat> yeah, we have another family here who is, was a, someone's brother. Her son, her son, her son passed away. What's his name? Raul. Raul Jr. Let me pray for him too. You're his mom? Oh. Father, we also uh, pray for Raul, Raul's family as well, who's also, who also is grieving the loss of their loved one. Father, I also pray for the same, the same spirit that is surrounding Michael and his family surrounds the family of Raul's as well. That you'll love on them, that you'll comfort them, that you'll give them peace. And they can know as well that he is with you. We pray for this family in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you.
Thank you for allowing me to do that uh, this morning, uh, church. Uh, Michael and Neil are part of our family, and so we always say around here a lot that we are a tight faith family, and, and I mean that. We are. We are a tight faith family. And so when one of us is grieving, we all grieve, right? And so I love that as we continue to grow, we're continuing to grow as a family. So thank you for allowing me uh, to do that. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and transition now into our message, Matthew chapter 5 and Exodus uh, chapter 20, as we move right along in our guardrail series uh, this morning. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and recognizing this fact that these commandments are actually God's guardrails for us that he put in place to keep us safe, that he put in place to keep us free, and that one day, or that we can continue to live the kind of life that God has intended for us to live. Remember, we've given the definition of guardrails a couple of times. I want to remind us of that definition that says, guardrails is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Okay? And I love that definition because that's exactly what the Ten Commandments are for us. The Ten Commandments are guardrails. It is a system designed to keep us, God's kids, from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. I think a lot of times we make the mistake of thinking that the commandments were only meant for God's people way back then, thousands of years ago. But remember, when we think like that, that kind of mentality really diminishes the relevance for us today. The commandments are God's guardrails to help ensure that we can experience spiritual, emotional, mental, and relational health and freedom in our journey through this life. Remember, to keep free people free because God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he only wants the best for you. These commandments are his guardrails to help ensure that the road that we travel on is the safest and least dangerous path on our way towards him. Over the last four weeks, we've covered exactly half of the Ten Commandments. We've been through five. We talked about not putting any other gods before the one true God, about not having idols in our life, about how God will not take a back seat to anyone. God will not take a back seat to anything in our life. We talked about our tongue and how we need to be intentional about how we use our words, especially when it comes to using the Lord's name. Week four, we spent some time on the Sabbath. We talked about the importance of taking a real Sabbath, a 24-hour Sabbath, and how important that is in a believer's life, how we need to renew, how we need to recharge, how we need to refocus before the next week. And then last week might have been uncomfortable uh, as some of us were reminded of how important it is to honor our father and our mother. Pastor Tito spent some time digging into the details of what that looks like in our life as well. And that brings us to today. The sixth commandment. This is the first commandment of the ten that doesn't come with any explanations or any other details. It's very cut and dry. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 says this. You must not murder. That's it. You must not murder. Or if you grew up in church, maybe you heard, thou shalt not kill, right? Thou shalt not kill. You think, well, Jeremy, is there any way around this? Is there any way around this commandment? Maybe there's another translation that says it differently. Okay, well, let's look. The NIV, the New International Version, says, you shall not murder. The English Standard Version says, you shall not murder. 
The message translation says, no murder. There's no other translation. There's no other way to get around this. By the way, the Hebrew word for murder uh, in this passage includes uh, causing someone's death either through carelessness or negligence as well. It's included in that. I think it's safe to say that there isn't anyone in here who has a problem with this commandment. There's, either, there's even non-believers who believe that you shouldn't murder, that you shouldn't kill people. And you must not murder. Got it. No problem, Jeremy. I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, to say amen and let's go home. My mom's got a roast in the crock pot, okay? We covered it and let's go. At first glance, you must not murder seems to be the easiest of all of the other commandments to follow. And maybe you've even thought, you know what, even if I break all of the other commandments, even if, if I break the other nine, I'm pretty confident that I can draw a line at murder. And we can look at this commandment and think I'm in the clear, that the sixth commandment really doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, before we jump to that conclusion, let me remind you what Jesus has to say about this. There's more to this commandment that meets the eye than more than just a quick glance. There's more to the, the physical act of murder that demands our attention. Jesus took the time to touch on this lesson uh, when he was teaching his disciples. In the greatest sermon, one of the greatest sermons that, that Jesus ever preached, he told his followers, he was teaching his followers how to dive a little bit deeper into some of these commandments and really dissect the heart. He says this in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You're like, oh, Jesus, this, this is a little too strict. Well, let's pause and kind of look at what this means because, before we move forward because this actually can bring up a lot of different questions. Is Jesus really saying that as a believer, I can't feel the emotion of anger without being guilty of sin and then later hell? Is he really expecting me to walk through life singing kumbaya and seeing the best in everyone that I meet? That sounds a little unrealistic. If that's the case, then I know for me personally, I've failed about a million times in this. I mean, I had to pray coming back from SoCal this past week that I wouldn't light somebody on fire who's doing the exact speed limit in the left lane. <laughs> and you're laughing because you know that you feel my tension in that when someone's going exactly 70 in the fast lane. You're like, okay, I know you're trying to be good, but move it over <laughs> because I want to come at least 72. Or 82. Okay. We're human, right? We're human. We're going to feel anger from time to time. The sin happens when we don't handle our anger in a positive way. When we let our anger control us, that's when we have an issue. That's what Jesus is talking about. Raka is a word that would be associated with someone being absolutely worthless, absolutely uh, having no worth, not worthy uh, at all, not worthy of love, not worthy of respect, not worthy of God's time, not worthy of God's attention. And to say you fool to a brother or sister in that day 
was the equivalent of damning someone to hell. We don't have the power or the right to condemn anyone to hell, nor should we want to. That position of judgment belongs only to the Father. To have this kind of hate for someone is a major issue, a major problem in the life of a believer, and it should be checked immediately. In this passage, I believe that Jesus is challenging all of us to take a look at our heart. I think he was speaking to the times when we're, when we're angry and we, we, we've allowed our anger to overtake us and to control us and cause us to think and to speak and to act completely differently than what Jesus is calling us into as followers of him. I think we all understand what that looks like. We have to remember that it's really easy for our anger to get away from us, right? It's easy for us to let anger turn into something even nastier. Anger and bitterness and resentment and disdain and hatred are all independent of each other, but they're actually very incredibly similar and closely related. We know that unchecked anger that lingering anger, that ignored anger can turn into something so sinful as, in our lives as a believer. And then it begins to infect our soul, affect and infect our soul. You might be saying, come on, Jeremy. I mean, there's a huge difference between hating someone and murdering someone. I mean, Jeremy, there's, there's a difference between calling someone a name and actually taking their life, and I 100% agree with you, but we cannot deny what Jesus is saying to us here, that in God's eyes, the emotion of truly hating someone and the emotion of murdering someone are deeply connected. Jesus didn't mince words. You can't have the latter without the former. It's important of what happens on the inside of our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the dangers of just following our heart because we don't know what's really in there until we're tested. How many times in life have you ignored your head and followed your heart? The heart is where everything flows, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your, the intentions all come from the heart. So that means that anger and lust and greed and deceit are all key ingredients that have left unchecked could infect your heart, which in turn spoils the entire you. You may have never struggled with a legitimate thought of murdering someone, but we've all struggled with an unhealthy heart from time to time. That's what this commandment is communicating. That's what we need to remember when we read, you shall not murder. We need to check our heart. We need to take inventory and see if what we're doing is pleasing or unpleasing to the Father. So how can, how can anger be an enemy of my heart? If you're taking notes, here's the first, uh, the first villain for this weekend. Number one, anger changes me. Anger actually changes me. Unchecked, unresolved anger lingers and contaminates my thoughts. It contaminates my actions. It contaminates my words. And if it hangs around long enough, it will slowly eat away at who God created us to be. It actually replaces it with something completely different. Anger has the ability to reshape who you are. Did you know that? The person, the people, the circumstance, the wrongdoing will surface every time something doesn't go your way. You'll be reminded of it daily if anger is not under control. You'll remember the anger in the good times and it will be the nucleus in the bad times. 
Have you ever heard this saying before? Hate is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. It doesn't make any sense. The poison of anger and hate will slowly eat at you from the inside out. Hate will attack your identity. Anger will attack your heart. Matthew chapter 18 gives a good foundation for handling tough situations and walking through all the emotions that go along with it. Spoiler alert. It has to do with face-to-face conversations, which because of social media, it's super easy to ignore now. Now we just blast each other on social media and hope that everyone else reads it and then they're on our side about it. Matthew 18, 15 through 16, listen to what Jesus says. If another another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. If you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that person you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So listen, if it's safe, if it's healthy, if the conversation will be productive, then go to that person and talk it out. Now, I know not every situation that you encounter will fit into these categories. So we have to use our best discernment. We have to use our best judgment. The very best way to deal and process through your hurt, through your anger, is by having a face-to-face conversation with whomever is the focus of your anger, the focus of your hurt. If a one-on-one doesn't work, bring in a third party. Do whatever you can to deal with this issue. Ignoring it and hoping it will just go away doesn't work. Telling yourself to get over it doesn't work. Convincing yourself that it doesn't bother you, that you're not really hurt, that you're just going to press it down and just keep on going, that doesn't work either because eventually it will come out. Have a conversation with the person. If you can't process through your feelings, if you, if you can't do that, talk and keep, keep on talking about it. Let God bring healing to that wound. And that can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. Write this down for number two. Anger distorts my perspective. So anger changes me and anger distorts my perspective. When I hide anger in my heart, my perspective will be skewed. Before long, I, I, I stop finding joy in joyful situations. I start to assume the worst outcome and quit expecting success. I start my day with the, my glass half full just waiting for something to get worse from there. When, my stuff, when I stuff my anger, it will eventually hinder my perspective. Everything that I look at is seen through a filter of bitterness and hate and hurt. And I'm just waiting for something. I'm expecting everyone to have it out against me. I'm expecting the worst in everyone instead of the best. It makes fun times not so fun. It makes successes a little less sweet. We're constantly anticipating bad news, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's exhausting, and it's not the life that Christ wants us to live. It's unhealthy. In fact, the things or the people that are causing your your anger actually become distractions in your life from building God's kingdom because you're always thinking about them. You're always thinking about that. 
I remember hearing a story one time back years ago, Oprah Winfrey told a story of one time that someone really damaged her. They hurt her and she was angry and she was upset. Every time she heard this person's name, she wished bad things on them. And then one day she was driving down Michigan Avenue in Chicago and she came up to a stop sign and she looked and she saw her crossing the street with her friends, just laughing and having a great time. And she thought, wait a minute, what she did to me isn't bothering her at all. And I'm hijacked by it. So then she began to let it go. In fact, pray continuously that God will help you. Let me say that again. Pray continuously that God will help you let it go. And no, that's not a disclaimer for the next Frozen movie. All right. Really let it go. Did you hear that word continuously? That word is intentional because this isn't one, this isn't a one and done kind of a prayer. This is ongoing. It's a process I have to continuously keep my heart in check when I hear certain names of people that have hurt me in my past or hurt my family or have caused damage to my family or caused damage to me emotionally or mentally. When I hear their names, there's something in the, and you're, I know that you're right with me that makes your body tense up. Sometimes you think they're still alive. It's horrible, right? But that's what we think because they've hurt us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Go to battle with your thoughts. Think good thoughts. Be intentional about asking God to help guide your thoughts. Every time you think of that person, every time you think of that thing, that circumstance, that issue, and you begin to tense up and you begin, that anger begins to build, keep it in check. And begin to ask God to guide your thoughts. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts. You know what I do sometimes? I actually did it this morning. I actually put, physically put my hand on my head and I pray for myself. I pray for my thoughts. I pray for my actions. I pray for God to guide and to guard my tongue, to guide and to guard my heart. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. It's difficult. It's certainly a lot easier said than done, isn't it? It takes time. It takes practice. But in my experience, it's the only thing that helps to improve your perspective. We must do whatever we have to to remove those filters of anger and hurt that we're constantly looking through. Here's the third and last uh, final uh, fill-in for the weekend. Anger prevents me from seeing people the way God sees people. Anger keeps me from seeing people the way that God sees people. Lingering anger causes me to see my enemy instead of seeing my fellow brother and sister in Christ. I no longer see a human. I no longer see a believer, someone who's hurting themselves, hurt people, hurt people, right? Damaged people, damaged people. And instead of them being your enemy, what if we looked at them and said, you know what, that's my brother or sister in Christ who's hurt themselves. I no longer see people when my, when my vision is skewed, I no longer see someone who's just made a mistake. I no longer see a child of God who needs love and grace just as much as I do. I see someone who hurt me. I see someone who stands in my way. I see someone who's out to get me. I see the reason for all my problems. I see someone who's not worthy of my time or my friendship or my concern. I see Raka. I see you fool. And Matthew 5, 43 says this. 
Jesus talking, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. And I think, well, this was actually before the cross when Jesus was saying things like this. How did he feel about his enemies when he was hanging on the cross? Well, let's think about that scene. Because it had to be pretty shocking to him. The Roman soldiers gambling for his clothes. The criminals on either side of him. The religious leaders mocking him. The crowd blaspheming him. Yet even in his agony, Jesus' concern was for the forgiveness of those who claimed to be his enemy. He asked the Father to forgive the thief on the cross. He asked the Father to forgive the Roman soldiers who were mocking him who spit on him, who beat him, who put a crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to a cross. Jesus asked forgiveness for the angry mob that called for his crucifixion. Surrounded by all of this hate and anger, Jesus prayed for them the prayer that is unmatched in mercy and unmatched in grace. Someone calls us a name and we think we're persecuted. Someone tries to take a right away from us and we think that we're being persecuted. Yet Jesus hung on the cross after everything that was done against him, looking down from the cross on that scene. And at any time he could have called 10,000 angels to come rescue him. And instead he said, Father, forgive them. Luke 23, for they know, for they do not know what they are doing. When you pray for your enemies, it humanizes them. When you pray for your, your enemies, it begins to remove the filters of hate and you begin to see them the way that God sees them. As people, as imperfect humans who also need grace. But here's the greatest thing that happens when you pray for your enemies. It softens you. It softens you. In fact, it's probably the healthiest thing that you can do to restore you're busted up, you're damaged, you're hurt, heart. It's to pray for that person. And it's tough. Praying for your enemies brings so many things to light in your own life. That's one of the reasons why we don't want to go there. You'd be amazed at the conversations that you'll have with God if you start praying for someone that you currently dislike. Not only will praying for them bring healing, but you'll find blessing in it because you'll be acting as a true child of God. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus is telling us to guard our heart. He's also telling us that the key to changing our hearts is through submission, it's through serving, it's through obedience having healthy conversations about our hurt and our anger, thinking good thoughts and being intentional about where and what we allow our thoughts to dwell on and to go. Praying for our enemies, doing good, wishing good, praying good to those who do us wrong instead of showing hate. Jesus is asking us to do all the things that go directly against what our human nature wants to do. If we're disciplined enough to do this, we'll find that the filters of hate that we're looking through will slowly be diminished and maybe even disappear. Living a life without anger 
living a life without hate is a life that God is commanding us to live. He's not asking us to live that life. He's commanding us to live that life. It won't happen overnight. It will take time. Be patient with yourself. Just because we've never murdered anyone doesn't mean that the sixth commandment has nothing to do with us. It is yet another guardrail to keep people free. I want to close with an illustration that I had in my own personal life. When Janet and I first got married, I was an angry, angry person. And when you're 21, when you're 20, 21, you don't really care about diving into where your anger is coming from. And it didn't take a few years for me to figure it out. And I remember that she and I had been married uh, about a year and a half, and she, got, and she was pregnant with, with Caleb. She was probably about six or seven months pregnant, and I remember just losing it one day. Never abused my wife, never, never, never hurt her. But I was always having to repair holes in the walls and doors that I'd ripped off the hinges, and just I was just an angry person. And I remember one time having an outburst of anger and Janet looking at me and saying, you better get this anger in check before I bring a baby in this world because I'm not going to have him subjected to this. And that was a wake-up call for me. And beginning that day, I remember hitting my knees and saying, God, I have no idea what's wrong with me. I, I don't know why I'm so angry. I don't know, but I want you to take it from me because I don't want to act like this in front of my children, in front of my wife. I know it's not a Christian. I know it's not the life that you called me to, to be angry like this. You know what the Lord told me? He said, the reason why you're so angry is because you don't like you. I didn't like myself. There were things about me that I hated, and because of that, that I was hurt from my, my mother walking out on me when I was a little kid and not... Not having my, my biological mother, all, that, all those kinds of things were, were deep-seated on the inside of me, and I was such an angry person. But when I submitted and surrendered to God that day and said, I can't do this. I need you to take this from me. I felt something begin to melt away on the inside of me. I can't explain it. And, th- and, and it wasn't great after that. I never. It's not that I never had any more outbursts, but... I was conscious of the fact now that, oh, wait, I'm not fully surrendered to God. And I need to do that so that he can control my actions. Now I'm a completely different person. There's times Janet will tell me and say, that doesn't make you mad. I'm like, well, it is what it is. You know, that doesn't make me angry anymore. And she said, 25 years ago, you would have tore this house apart. And I was like, no, I just dropped a soda. It's okay, you know. So I, I tell that story, I close with that story because I know that there's a, lot, there's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, we have, we have issues, right? And you can't do it on your own. You have to surrender your life to Jesus totally. You say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. I get that, I'm not taking that away from you. I'm just saying, are you fully surrendered to Jesus with your emotions? with your heart, with your life, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your thoughts, and everything. It's not going to happen overnight, but you can start today. Bow your heads, let me pray.
Father, thank you so much for this message, Lord. I know that, Lord, as I was putting it together, Lord, it spoke to me so deeply, brought back some memories, and actually triumphs in my life, healing in my life that I got to celebrate again with you. Father, it's easy to read that, that, that sixth command, commandment and say, do not murder. Well, that's not me. It has nothing to do with me, Lord. But there are people and situations in our lives that bring up some really disgusting thoughts and really, really uh, hateful emotions in our lives and a lot of anger. And you were very clear, very clear in Scripture when you said to get rid of that. So, Father, I, I, I pray over all of those, all of us in this room right now, Lord, that deal with anger, that deal with the emotion of hurt, because anger really stems from being hurt. And so, Father, I just speak into that over everybody's life this morning. Lord, may we find joy. Lord, may we find that the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us is in control of our emotions, that's in control of our desires, Lord and really can take that from us, Father. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that as we separate, Lord, as we go our separate ways this morning, Father, that you will just be with us, Lord, in those situations and whenever those people come to our mind, whenever that situation comes to our minds, Lord, and we have the ability just to rage about it, just to get angry about it, Lord, you'll be right there beside us. You'll be right there beside us telling us and reminding us that that's not who you created us to be, Lord, that we can have thoughts that are good and not of evil intent. So this morning, Lord, we sit in a posture of humility and surrender, recognizing, Lord, that you are ultimately in control of our lives. So, Father, I pray for every one of us, Lord, watch over us, keep us safe, protect us, Lord, bring us back again next week, ready to worship you, Lord, and give us the opportunity sometime this week, Monday, Sunday through Sunday, Lord, give us an opportunity to share you with at least one person the love and the forgiveness and the grace that only you offer. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, don't forget all the announcements from this morning. Don't forget trunk or treat us tonight, five to seven. Even if you don't have kids, come. Come hang out with us. We're going to have some tables and chairs set up out there in the parking lot. Come fellowship with other believers out there and watch our kiddos have a great time. Uh, also, uh, all of the other announcements that we made uh, this week, uh, just keep, keep, a, keep an update on the app or, or the website of what's happening around here. If you came prepared to give, you could drop that off uh, in our giving baskets uh, before you leave. But we love you guys. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.